We began to look at our selfish desires and how they can get in the way of doing the mission that God has designed the church for. And we looked at what the church's purpose was, and that was two things. Remember, one was to bring glory to God, and two was to make his gospel known throughout the nations. And we looked at that as the church's mission, the church's purpose, and we talked about how our selfish desires and our selfishness detract from God being glorified and his gospel being shared. And, um, you know, we, we looked at this, this idea of if we make church about us and how we want it to be done or what we like or what we prefer, the way that we think that it should be done, how we basically take God's plan and God's design for it and we like just toss it in the mud. Because God has given us a plan for the church. Like he's, he's very clearly laid out throughout scripture how he wants his church to function and what he wants it to do. And when we choose to do things our own way or with our preference, we're basically saying, forget all that nonsense. I'm going to do it my way. But we've all, we've all had these moments in our lives where our desires, our wishes had to take a backseat to others. If you have siblings... You have definitely experienced this, okay? I have a sibling, and so I know that there are times where you're drugged to their activities and their things, and you're like, wait, I just want to sit at home and not do anything, and now I'm out here freezing my butt off at a soccer game, and no one in America even likes soccer. But not speaking from personal experience or anything. But anyway, we all have these moments in our lives, whether it's with our family where maybe we want to do something, but our family is doing some different activity that we have to go be a part of. Maybe it's school, where you want to do X, Y, or Z, but you're having to share this time, this resource, this whatever with another student. Or maybe preschool, where you want to play with the trucks, and the teacher makes you share the trucks with the other kid. Not that that's still sourced. No, I'm just kidding. But, or, you know, this idea of, we, we, we just all know that in our lives, there are moments where what we want has to take a backseat to other people. And, and we're kind of okay with that, like in small doses. But the more that people begin to say, hey, you're not going to get what you want. You're, we're going to do what this other person wants. The more and more you get frustrated. So knowing that in life, we have to sometimes put ourselves in the backseat. Take a back seat to other things. Hopefully it's not too much of a stretch for you to walk away from last Wednesday night thinking like, hey, you know what? I can take a back seat to God. Like, if there's someone to take a back seat to, God's a pretty good person to let run the show and let me work in the background. So hopefully, last week you were like challenged, but it wasn't too like, I can't do this or I don't want to do this kind of thing. So hopefully last week challenged you but didn't like break you. Okay, I'm just going to prepare you. Tonight's lesson is more about breaking you. Okay? Like this is not going to be something that I hope that you walk away here from being like, oh, that's going to be easy to do. Or, oh, I already do that in my own life. Tonight's lesson, and we talked about this last week, that this series is really going to be something challenging for you guys in here. And so tonight what we're looking at is... 
a pill that's a little bit harder to swallow than what we looked at last week. So before we jump into it, or before I even give you the title or anything, I want to read you guys a passage from Luke 14. It starts in verse 25 and goes through verse 33. It says, Large crowds were traveling with Jesus, and turning to them, he said, If anyone comes to me and does not hate his father and mother, his wife and children, his brothers and sisters, yes, even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. And if anyone who does not carry his cross and follow me cannot be my disciple. Suppose one of you wants to build a tower. Will he not first sit down and estimate the cost to see if he has enough money to complete it? For if he lays the foundation and is not able to finish it, everyone who sees it will ridicule him, saying, This fellow began to build and was not able to finish. Or suppose a king is about to go to war with another king. Will he not first sit down and consider whether he is able with 10,000 men to oppose the one coming against him with 20,000? If he is not able, he will send a delegation while the other is still a long way off and ask for terms of peace. In the same way, any of you who does not give up everything, he cannot be my disciple. So the the title of this lesson is Counting the Cost. And I really think Jesus lays that out very plainly. And yet I feel like these words, this passage, this teaching from Jesus has fallen on deaf ears in the Christian church for generations. I mean, imagine if we incorporated these teachings into our altar calls. Like, like uh, imagine if we're, we're at Falls Creek or we're at some camp or something and they're like, hey, you know, if you feel... That, that God is calling you to salvation tonight. Please come forward and all these kids come down front and everyone's clapping. And then like if the person got up on stage and was like, okay, who's ready to disown your family and even possibly lose your life for following Jesus? Raise a hands. And then all the people who don't raise their hands are like, okay, if you didn't raise your hand, you can go back to your seat because you're not really ready for salvation yet. Like, imagine if we incorporated that into our altar. That seems like radical and really strange because we've, we've adopted this mindset of we need to lead people to salvation and to know Jesus Christ at all costs, that we totally lose the idea and the fact that salvation is not about just like praying some prayer, just knowing who Jesus is. It's about being a part of his kingdom and serving him with your life to the extent that you are willing to reject everything else in your life, all your, all your desires, all your wishes, all your wants, all your relationships, everything are now less important than your relationship with Jesus Christ. And we totally overlook that when we preach the gospel to people. I mean, there's a reason that Jesus says narrow are the path and the gate that lead to salvation and wide are the path and the gate that lead to destruction. He says few will travel the path to salvation. And yet we sit here and we try to make like, and, and I get it. Like we want, and trust me, I want more than anyone for every single person, not just in this room, not just in this community, not just in this state, this country, this world, To experience salvation, I want that more than anything. That's why I've given my life to serving God in ministry is because I have a passion for that. And I want people to understand that and believe who Jesus is. But we cannot boil it down to just like, hey, 
Just come down front, repeat this prayer after me, and then you'll go to heaven. Because that's not what Jesus teaches. What I fear is, we've given a large number of people this false idea that coming forward for one night at camp saves you. And, and, and I mean, truly and honestly, like, and I'm not trying to bash on people who got saved at camp. I have, like, I have, I have a friend who is serving overseas, and he got saved at a church camp. Like, I'm not trying to bash on that, and I'm, that's just a good example we can point to. But I can see why so many people question their salvation later in their life. And honestly speaking, probably half or more of the counseling I do for people wanting to talk about salvation are students who they're like, hey, I want to get baptized. And I'm like, great. Why are you wanting to get baptized? And they're like, well, I got baptized whenever I was younger. And I didn't really understand what I was doing. Or I was just doing it because I had other friends that were getting baptized or something. And now I really understand what it means to follow Jesus. Like, and there's nothing wrong with that. That's awesome that people do that. But it's just, it's heartbreaking to me that, that there are so many people out there who were walked through the plan of salvation, that were baptized, and no one ever took the time to disciple them and say, hey, look, it's important that you understand who Jesus is and what he did for you, but what's just equally as important is how you're supposed to serve him with your life. We totally miss out on that. And because of that, so many people question their salvation for their entire lives. Guys, it's time for us to wake up and understand that salvation isn't just something that we can force someone into or like pressure them into or be like, hey, you're going to come to VBS and we're going to sing all these songs and we're going to like memorize all these verses. At the end of the week, we're going to be like, do you know who Jesus is? You do? Okay, repeat this prayer after me. Great. Now you're saved and going to heaven. That's not how it's supposed to work. We need to preach this idea of having to count the cost of following Jesus before deciding to hitch ourselves to his wagon. I want to look at two different encounters that people had when Jesus called them to follow him. Two examples where Jesus told people to follow him and the two different reactions they had. And quite frankly, I fear that most of us fall into the second one rather than the first one. But I told you guys, when we're looking at this idea of big church, little you, that one of the main things we're going to look at are the, the apostles, the disciples, and how they, they uh, there's no better way to say it, gave their lives to serve the church, to serve God. And so we're going to start tonight by examining what happened when Jesus first called them to be his disciples. Like you would normally think this is like a, like a big crowning moment. Like I think about, for example, um, I think you guys, most of you guys know this, that I was, in a, I was in a service fraternity whenever I was in college. And whenever they gave out the bids for it, it was like a big deal. Like you got dressed up in a suit and went to this dinner and like they announced your name and you got like a bid certificate. And like it was a big thing. So you would think that like Jesus choosing his disciples would be like all the pomp and circumstance that you can imagine like, you get to be a disciple of Jesus Christ. Congratulations, you know. But let's look at this story of exactly how he called these people who, who you know, I think a lot of times we think that the 12 disciples were just like Jesus' buddies. But really, Jesus had to go around and he had to find 12 people that he felt comfortable 
leaving his ministry in their hands to continue his ministry after he was gone because he knew the plan. He knew that he was only going to be there for about three, three and a half years. And he needed people that in that three years he could disciple them to a degree that they could do his work after he was gone. So he calls these 12 disciples his entourage, if you will. And now we know from other passages of scripture that these guys had previous encounters with Jesus. They had heard him teach. They had met him. They had seen him. So they knew who he was. I think at this time they didn't, they didn't fully grasp that he was like the Messiah. I think they may have had like an idea, but they weren't totally sure. But he, they, these disciples, they knew who he was and what he was teaching. But I want you to look at what happens in Matthew 4, starting in verse 18. It says, As Jesus was walking beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon called Peter and his brother Andrew, and they were casting a net into the lake, for they were fishermen. Come follow me, Jesus said, and I will make you fishers of men. At once they left their nets and followed him. Going on from there, he saw two brothers, James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John. They were in a boat, and their father, Zebedee, preparing their nets. Jesus called them, and immediately they left the boat and their father and followed him. You know, we we have to fully understand that for these guys, fishing was not just a hobby. Like for most of us, when we think about fishing, we think about like taking a boat out on the lake and like, you know, relaxing and taking it easy and having like a fun day out on the lake. They weren't out on the lake just trying to catch the biggest largemouth bass to post on Instagram. They were like, this was their livelihood. Like this was their job. This was their work. Everything that they had, they would put into fishing boats, fishing equipment, fishing everything, because that was how they provided for their families. So when Jesus calls them and says, follow him, I would think a natural reaction would be like if you were self-employed and you had invested all the money that you have earned back into your business and all this equipment and everything, that when Jesus was like, hey, follow me and I'll make you fishers of men, you'd be like, hey, great, Jesus, I love that idea, but let me pack up my nets first and maybe get them in storage so people don't steal them and let me get my boat back docked up and, you know, taken care of and everything. No, it says, it says at once. And on the second encounter, it says immediately they left their boats, their nets, even their father, and followed him. And I think it's interesting when you read this passage, and and this is kind of this deeper reading of scripture, when you start to look at why did the author use these words, I think it's interesting that the author decided to include at once and immediately for these two examples. Because I think that, like, The author could have said, Jesus said, come follow me, and they followed him. Okay, and then we probably could have then deduced that like, oh, well, they followed him after they put their nets away and like boats and blah, 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 took care of their, you know, their families and belongings and blah, blah, blah. But no, it says at once, immediately, they followed him. There was no deciding. There was no like, hey, do we just leave our nets here? Do we like, what do we do exactly it, it really gives this idea that this was a no-brainer decision for these guys. They had already calculated the cost of what it meant to follow Jesus. They had calculated the fact that ditching their nets, their boat, to follow this man was giving up their livelihood. They would have no job. They would have no food. They would have no home. They would have nothing. 
Literally, they were following Jesus in faith. And this was a no-brainer for these guys because they had counted the cost and they knew that they wanted to tie themselves to Jesus for, for whatever was to come down the road. They trusted Jesus over anything. You know, they didn't have any of this stuff, but what they did have was the faith that Jesus would somehow meet these needs. And I wonder how many... How many of us would be willing to give up some of our, not even just like our cush things, like not our technology, not our cars, not like, not even just the like luxuries that we have in life. How many of us would be willing to give up our basic necessities out of a faith to God that he will provide for us? I mean, how many like... And this sounds crazy. What I'm about to say sounds crazy. And I'm not suggesting anyone in here do this unless you feel called by God to because I do trust that he would provide for you. But how, like, could you imagine taking your bed, selling it on Facebook Marketplace, whatever, Craigslist, who knows, selling everything you own in your room, taking this money, hopping a jet and flying halfway around the country, not knowing anyone, not knowing anything, not knowing the language, not knowing, not having anything to your name. And then to just be like, God, I trust you that you've called me into this place to serve you so you will provide for me. Like that sounds crazy and radical, but that's basically what these guys were doing. They literally were just throwing everything they had worked for their whole life away And starting over from scratch with Jesus saying, hey, I'm going to tie myself to you because I trust you and I believe in who you say you are and how I'm going to follow you with my life. And we fast forward like we like to think, oh, well, that worked out nicely for them. They got three and a half years of ministry with Jesus and then they started the early church like go these guys like how awesome that investment paid out. But you fast forward to the end of the story and we eventually know that all but one of the 12 disciples were killed for their faith in Jesus. And so what we can look at it as like, oh, well, they, they got to serve with Jesus for three years. Yeah, and it cost them everything. This is the kind of counting the cost that Jesus asks us to do before following him. And I can't sugarcoat it. It's just the truth. Jesus doesn't just say, hey, you know what? Um, just, you know, sing this ABC song from VBS and then you'll get into heaven. Like if you, if you walk to the, if you, if you die and you, you walk to heaven and then they're like, uh, why should you get into heaven? And you're like, oh, hang on. Let me bust out my ABC song from VBS. Like that's not how it's going to work. We're told to count the cost following Jesus, to understand that if we want to hitch ourselves to Jesus and say, hey, you know what? I am trusting in you as my savior and my Lord, and I'm going to serve you with everything that I have and everything that I am. Like we don't get to decide where that line is. We don't get to say, oh, I'm I'm going to serve you with everything I am, but I'm not going to give up my social media. Like that's kind of mine. Like it's, it's part of who I am. Or like, you know what, God, I'm going to follow you. But as long as I can like have my phone, like how would I function without my phone? I can't take selfies. Like 
what would I do? You know, we sit here and we laugh about these things. Like we're like, oh my gosh, how petty would someone be to not want to follow Jesus because of their cell phone? Yet many of us sit in here and are afraid to admit to our own friends at school that we're a Christian because they might tease us or make fun of us. Or we're not willing to invite a friend to church or church camp because you're afraid that they might think that you're weird or, oh my gosh, even worse, they might say no. I know, right? That would be like soul crushing if you asked someone to come to church and they said no. We sit here and we like to think about how petty people are about not wanting to follow Jesus and commit everything to get, like, not to give everything for him. But yet each and every one of us in here, myself included, have certain things that we hide away and we say, God, I'll serve you with everything as long as you don't come after this thing. And it's hard because I think about, like, If God called me to serve him in a way that I would have to leave my family to go serve him, that's a tough ask. Like, and I mean, you you guys in here, you you don't have a a spouse and kids and, but if, if God called you to leave them, like, I can't even begin to imagine, like, I'm sure a lot of you would be like, God, please call me to go serve somewhere outside of my family right now. Like, I will go willingly. But, like, when you have your own family, I can't even imagine God calling me away from that. But yet these men jumped at the chance to leave their family to serve Jesus. We all have that thing. No matter how noble it is, you could be like, oh my gosh, what a noble person to stay behind for his family rather than do this thing. And we don't even factor in that that thing that I skipped out on is what God was truly calling me to do. It's not noble, that's cowardness. You know, I think we like to think that we're like the disciples, that when Jesus calls us, we ditch our nets and we go follow him. But in reality, I think many more of us are like the second person we're going to look at, the rich young ruler in Mark 10, who came up to Jesus. And he had this interaction with Jesus where he was basically like, Jesus, I am like the best Christian that there is. Like, you know, all your commandments and Jesus starts listing off the commandments. He's like, I know I followed all of them. And Jesus like, that's great. But there's one thing you must still do. You must sell all of your possessions and give that to the poor and come follow me. Which seems like such a simple thing. And yet it says the young ruler was deeply dismayed by these words. And he went away grieving. I wonder how many of you guys in here tonight are in this place with Jesus. You followed God's commands to the best of your ability. You come to church. You read your Bible. You pray. You do the things you're supposed to do. And you say that you want to follow Jesus with everything that you are and everything that you have. 
and you think you've counted the cost, but there's that one thing, and I know we all have it. There's that one thing. Maybe it's your, your personal image. Maybe it's a relationship. Maybe it's a time commitment. You're just too busy to do exactly what God's calling you to do. I don't care what it is. Whatever that one thing is, the God that is keeping you from doing what God has called you to do, you know what it is. And you're so attached to it that you would rather walk away from Jesus grieving than to sacrifice that one thing to serve his kingdom. And I don't know what that is for you. It's different for, I think, every single person. But whatever that is for you, you need to deal with that tonight before Jesus and decide for yourself if it's truly worth spending eternity separated from God for. Because ultimately, that's what you're deciding in that moment. That rich, young ruler, he ultimately chose to enjoy his earthly possessions over spending eternity with Jesus. He chose the few temporary years of enjoying his possessions and separation from God rather than just doing what Jesus said, selling his possessions, the thing close to him, and following him. And I told you, tonight is not going to be an easy pill to swallow. And you might be thinking, wow, Brian, this is like really harsh, like a really hard thing to listen to. But you know what? If you read scripture, you see Jesus teach these kind of hard things. In fact, you can look at a passage in John 6 where, where Jesus had a mass, like it was more than just the 12 disciples. He had a bunch of people following him that were claiming to be his disciples. And Jesus turns around and I think he started to realize that a lot of the people following him were just kind of like, they were just there for the... You know, just like because it was the in thing to do. And he's, he, he teaches them something. And you can go read it. It's in John 6. But he teaches them something. And a couple of them go, whoa, 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 Jesus, this is hard teaching. Who can accept this? And Jesus looks at him and said, yeah, it is hard teaching. Can you accept it? And it says that from this, many of the followers turned back and no longer followed him. And then, you know, that, that, that sounds like that sounds scary enough to think about like all the Christians that we have in the world. If we were all following Jesus and Jesus turned around and like scolded us and then was like, and then we're like, whoa, whoa, whoa. My preacher never said anything like that. Who's going to listen to this? And Jesus says, you're supposed to listen to it. Can you listen to it? How many Christians would turn and walk from Jesus just like these followers did right here? But here's the crazy thing. Jesus then turns to the 12 disciples and he goes, you guys want to leave too? And Peter says, I love Peter, by the way. If you know anything about me, Peter's like, He's my person that I'm like, I identify with in the Bible because he's the first one to open his mouth and not think about what he's actually saying. But I love Peter's response when Jesus asked the 12 disciples if they want to leave with all the people that are leaving. And Peter says, to whom shall we go? Where would we go? What would we do? You have the words of eternal life. We believe and know that you are the Holy One of God. And this is a powerful statement because he's basically saying, you know, it sounds like he's saying, to whom will I go? Like, where will I go? But really he's saying, like, to what will I go? 
Like, will I go back to my family? Will I go back to my possessions? Will I go back to my job? Will I go back to my social media? Will I go back to my phone? No, I don't want any of that. What I want is I want Jesus Christ because you are eternal life. That is what Peter says right here, and it's such a powerful statement. And I think it's where the line gets drawn between those who truly believe who Jesus is, and they truly believe that like Jesus is the only way to heaven, and if I want to follow Jesus, it means that I have to give my life and everything that I want to follow him. Because if you truly believe that Jesus is the Son of God and that his words are the gospel, the words of eternal life, then it would not be a stretch for any of us to leave our desires behind because you'd know that nothing can provide for you what Jesus can provide for you. Guys, living a life devoted to Jesus is not a walk in the park. It was never intended to be. It was never billed as such. If you've heard someone tell you that, they were not preaching the gospel that Jesus preached. Living a life devoted to Jesus, following Jesus, is not an easy thing to do. Jesus tells us that we will face many troubles, or we will face troubles of many kinds in our pursuit of Him. So, what I'm asking you guys to do tonight is exactly what the title of this lesson says. Count the cost. Decide for yourself if you're willing to leave everything, and I mean everything, behind to follow Jesus. Because that's the gospel that he preaches. Let me pray for us, and then we're going to do our song. God, we, we come to you tonight honestly a little broken. The words that, that you gave me to spoke broke me. And I know that there's some sitting in here who are broken by these words that they've heard tonight. But God, I pray that you would just give us peace, that you would give us comfort and refuge. in knowing that if we tie ourselves to you, that if we call upon the name of the Lord and that we believe that Jesus is who he said he was, the son of God, that he died a death for us, that no matter what we do in this life, it will not be worth spending eternity separated from you. God, I pray that if anyone in here is struggling with trying to decide if they truly understand or believe who Jesus is, or if they're struggling with not understanding with who Jesus is, but, under, but struggling with casting away that thing that is keeping them from fully following you, that you would just, you would just give them peace tonight about releasing that and trusting in you to provide whatever that is providing for them. God, I pray that you would just continue to speak as we walk through this series about taking the focus off of ourselves, placing the focus on you. God, I pray that you would just be with us, that you would speak to us and you would guide us as we walk through these very challenging 
things to discuss. God, we know that serving you, following Jesus is not something that's easy. We pray that you would just, you would just be with us. You would walk with us and guide us as we walk down this difficult path. God, we love you. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.